my last message that I'll be sharing with you this morning is entitled The Hebrew Mind. The Hebrew Mind. And uh, before we dive into God's Word, I would like to have another word of prayer that God will direct my words and that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher this morning. So I just invite you to bow your heads. I will kneel as we ask God's Spirit to be with us. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can come before you this morning. We thank you for your holy Sabbath day. Thank you, Lord, for the fellowship that we've been able to enjoy over the last weeks together. And Lord, as we come before you this morning, we pray for again the outpouring of your Holy Spirit. We pray that your Holy Spirit will be our teacher this morning as we open your word and study it together. May the words of truth not just be a theory, but may they become an experience is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy, that's the fifth book in the Bible. And turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy and the sixth chapter. Where we will start our journey together this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and we're going to begin in verse 1 and when you're there you can say amen give me permission to read Deuteronomy chapter 6 beginning in verse 1 these are words of Moses the spokesman of the Lord as he as as the Lord speaks through Moses to his people just prior to their entering into the promised land the land of Canaan And the Lord says, Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments, which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. Verse 2, That you may fear the Lord your God to keep all His statutes and His commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life. And that your days may be prolonged. Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligent to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So shall it be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abram, to Isaac, and Jacob... To give you a large and beautiful cities which you did not build. Houses full of good things which you did not fill. Hewn out wells which you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full. Then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. These are the words of the Lord through Moses to his people. Just as they are about to enter into the promised land, the land of Canaan. And I love the way that the word becomes so 
practical and real in this in, 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 this, in these commands, in these words. It is as if the word of God becomes the living word. Look at verse 6 again. It says, And these words which I command you today shall be where? In your heart. These words are to be in your heart. And then it goes on to say in verse 7, You shall teach them diligently to your children. Verse 8 it says, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. The word of God is not just a theory. The word of God is an experience. And here the Lord speaking through Moses to the people, He says, I want my word to be binded on your hand and between your eyes. Now, later on the Jews took this very literal and actually they took the scriptures uh, and would write it on scrolls and would literally bind it to their hands. They would literally bind it on their forehead. Uh, This was not the purpose of God. What God wanted is that His words would be in their minds and His words would be in their actions. Amen? That's why when you go all the way to the book of Revelation, it is interesting to note that in the, book, in the book of Revelation, you read about the seal of God in the foreheads, on the foreheads of God's people, the 144,000. Uh, this is not a, the name of God written literally on our foreheads, it's the character of God revealed in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds. Amen? So the words that were to be bound to be bound on the hands and the front between the eyes of the people, this was representing the word of God, which was to take deep root in their experience. It was to be an intellectual understanding of the truth, but more than that, it was to be a practical experience of the truth. And this is a little bit what I want to talk about this morning. The um, connection in scripture between our understanding of truth and our experience with that truth. In other words, I want to dig deeper this morning into the Hebrew mind. Because in the Hebrew way of thinking, the truth was directly applied in the actions of life. The true biblical way of thinking, the true Hebrew mindset is not just a, the truth as a theory that some, somehow you know, floats up there, but it is a truth that comes down, that sinks into the hearts, into, the, into our hearts and takes form in our actions. The truth is to be, is to be bind, to be binded not only in the mind, on the forehead, but also in the hand. It is to be an experience in our everyday lives. Now, when you look at the education of the Jews, it is very interesting how they would emphasize the practical side of the Word of God. As a matter of fact, if you were a young Jewish boy, by the age of six, your training would begin with they would call a Bet Sefer. And that was a period from basically from the age of six to the age of twelve in which you would learn the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, uh, the writings of Moses. They would memorize these scriptures, but not only would they memorize these scriptures, but they would also learn the application of these words. How that the Torah, the Word of God, became an experience into their lives. 
I heard that when they would be introduced to this educational program, this Bet Sefer period, that their teacher, the rabbi, would take some honey and would give it to the child. He was, remember, he was only at the age of six at that time. And the child would take that honey and would eat it. And then the rabbi would say to that young child, may the word of God be like honey to you. And so you can imagine the child is uh, the experience that he has with the, the honey, the sweetness of it, was to be the experience that he had with the word of God. It is an astounding to, not, to, to, uh, to see that in this period of Bet Sefer, which was approximately from the age of 6 to the age of 12, the Jewish child would learn the entire Torah by heart. That's the first five books of the Bible. And uh, then they would enter into another learning stage which would be referred to as the Bet Talmud, which was approximately from the age of 12 to about the age of 14 or 15. And during this time, the Jewish child would learn the entire Old Testament scriptures by heart, memorized. Now some of you might think to yourself, yeah, they were smarter back then. Well, I think the reality is that they focused on different things. You see, look at teenagers today. They're not dumb. As a matter of fact, they can memorize entire movies. I remember when I was a, I remember when I was a, a teenager, there was this movie, it was called Dumb and Dumber. Do you remember it? Which teenager does not know every single sentence in that movie? You know, during that time, they, they memorized these, these sentences, and yet we take the scriptures and it seems so difficult. It, is, it has to do with what we focus on in our lives. And so in the Jewish education, um, in order for the Hebrews to grow up and to be that people of God, in order to put his character on display, they realized the, the very much importance of an education rooted and grounded in the word of God. Central for them was an understanding of scripture, not only a theoretical attainment of an understanding of God's plan for their lives, but an experience in which they would enter. Remember, according to the words in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, the words of truth were to be bound not only on their foreheads, which represents in their minds, but also on their hands. It was to become a practical experience in their lives. Another stage of this educational uh, experience was called Bet Midrash, which came after Bet Talmud. And basically this was for the best of the best. Those that really um, were, 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 were talented in their understanding of a scripture that, could, that, that, that were seen to be uh, future teachers in Israel would be chosen by rabbis and the rabbi would come and say to that student, follow me. That was the call to be trained by the rabbi, which I find very interesting because when Jesus called his disciples, what did he say? He said, follow me. Now, we look at the disciples and certainly they don't come across as the best of the best. And isn't that interesting that Jesus chose those that, humanly speaking, did not seem to um, accomplish, that did not seem to be successful in life, and yet he made them the dispositors of truth. He made them the very man that carried the gospel into the, no, the then known world. Powerful, because when we look at our rabbi, Jesus Christ, he says to each one of us, follow me. 
follow me. Not because we are necessarily the most talented or the best, but because Jesus Christ takes the weakest of the weak and makes them. And in that weakness, and in that weakness he, he puts on display his strength. Amen? He makes his revelations known through those that humbly come to him. Also the rabbi, each and every rabbi would have his own yoke. And, 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 and as they would refer, refer to the yoke of the rabbi, they would refer to the teaching of the rabbi. And didn't Jesus say in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 29 and 30, you will remember this scripture. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Take my, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My friends, we are invited today to become students of Jesus. Amen? We are invited today become, to become students of the text. And the text of scripture, the living word of God, is to sink deep into our hearts, into our experiences, so that we not only understand it intellectually, but that we will also live it practically. Amen? This is to have the true Hebrew mind. The connection between truth being, being a, a theory, yes, but more than that, a practical experience with the person, Jesus Christ. Now, as you look at um, the Jews as a nation and you look at their story, um, many times they lost sight of their high calling in Jesus Christ, in, in, in God their Creator. And as they lost sight of their purpose and calling, they would follow after the nations around them and they would lose that special education that God had given to them. And on one occasion you read about the captivity of 70 years in which God's people find themselves in Babylon for a period of 70 years of captivity. After that captivity they return to rebuild Jerusalem, to rebuild their nation. And during that time there is a prophet that rises up. There are actually several prophets at that time. But one of them is a prophet by the name of Ezra. And I want you to take notice of the importance that Ezra sees, again, in reintroducing to Israel this education, this Hebrew mind, this way of thinking, of making the truth practical in the everyday life experience. And I invite you to turn in your Bibles from the book of Deuteronomy to the book of Ezra. The book of Ezra. And let's, let's go to chapter 7. Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10. Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10. And I want you to bear in mind the, the setting of the story here. They have just returned from captivity and there is a lot to be restored. There are a lot of walls that need to be built. There is a temple that needs to be built. But Ezra, beyond seeing the need of physical restoration and rebuilding, he sees the need of the restoration of God's truth. And so he goes to work here in Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10 and prepares himself to teach again God's ways in Israel. Take notice of Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10. The Bible says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach statues and ordinances in Israel. I want you to take notice of the steps here in this verse. 
Ezra prepares his heart. What would be another way of describing what Ezra is doing at this time? What would it mean to prepare your heart? Any ideas? Well, to, to, okay, to decide, you said? Okay, anything else? What, what do you do when you prepare your heart? Prayer? Did I hear prayer? Yes, absolutely. Prayer. You prepare your heart. You seek the Lord. The Lord. And then what does it say next? Look at the verse. Ezra 7 verse 10. It says, He prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. So now he searches into God's ways, into God's revelation of himself, into his law, into his word, into the scriptures. And then it says, next in the verse, And to what? To do it. There we have the application of the study. So he studies the word. He studies the law of the Lord. And the law of the Lord, by the way, was many times referring to more than just the Ten Commandments. The law of the Lord was basically the Old Testament scriptures. The revelation that God had given of himself. He prepares his heart in prayer. He studies the law of the Lord in order to do it. And then what next? What's the fourth step in the verse here? And to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. Isn't that interesting? We find four basic simple steps right there in Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10. Ezra sees the need for restoration in Israel after this long period of captivity. Ezra basically, I believe that he he was... Thinking back to the time before the captivity, he thought back to the time in which they were coming out of the wilderness into the promised land. He must have remembered the promise of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6, that the truth was to be found in the mind, but also in the action. Interpretation and application belonged together. Ezra 7 verse 10. So we find four steps, as I was saying. First step, he prepares his heart. He seeks the law, and then he does it, the application, and then finally he teaches the statutes and judgments, the word of God in Israel. We find the interpretation, the teaching part. Now, I want you to think about this verse for a moment, Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10. Isn't it interesting that many times today we take that and we turn it absolutely the other way around? What we get is many times we start, and, and I know this from my personal experience, so I'm, I, I'm talking here from a personal perspective. I have experienced this, and maybe some of you can relate to this as well. What we get is we teach something to someone else, and when we teach something to someone else, we realize that actually that which I'm teaching, that would be great to experience. That would actually really be good if that which I'm now teaching, I could actually also live in my life. And so we, we start trying to live that which we have taught. And when we try to live that which we have taught, we realize that we don't really know enough about it. And so we go back to the study of the word. And we start studying the word deeper in order to experience that which we have been teaching. And when we do so, we realize that this, this, this character um, cannot be attained by merely an intellectual understanding of Scripture. I need a relationship with God. And so we start praying. Do you see how that works? So Ezra goes to work here. And what does he do? He starts with preparing his heart. He prays. He uh, surrenders his life to God. Then he studies the Word. He seeks out the law of God the scriptures, he does it, application, and then and only then does he start teaching the word in Israel. Interpretation. 
And many, on many an occasion, we turn this upside down. I know it from my own experience. And we teach something and we realize that we haven't experienced what we taught. And we try to experience it, but we realize our need for more study. And when we study more, we realize our need of a personal relationship with God, which is the foundation of it all. Are you with me? Alright, so Ezra 7 verse 10, if we want to experience restoration like in the days of Ezra, if we want to experience the power of God's word in our lives, if we want to experience a true Hebrew mind in which we have the words of God both in our minds and in our actions, in our, on our foreheads and in our hands, we will need to dive deep into an understanding, but not only an understanding, but an experience with God's word, an experience with God's word. Now, there is a very different way of understanding in the Hebrew and biblical setting than what we find many times in our world, which I'm going to refer to as the Greek way of thinking. It's actually, I would really encourage you to study a little bit more into that. The Greek mind and the Hebrew mind are very different. Let me give you an illustration. I have here a pen, and I'm going to ask you, could you describe this pen for me? How would you, how would you, let me ask you, how would you describe this pen for me? Okay, it's shiny. Anyone else? Describe this pen for me. Sorry? You have to speak a little bit louder. Silver, you said? Okay, silver and black. Anyone else? Pretty flash, okay, anything else? Okay, there's, there's, it's an instrument of writing. I like that, I'll come back to that. Anyone else? Huh? Okay, the dimension. What, what is the length approximately? Something like 13, 14 centimeters, something like that? Alright, so, so you've given me uh, a description of this pen. Now, now, now catch this. And, and this is, of course, I'm, try, I'm generalizing here in order to make a point. In the Greek mindset, you would describe this pen like many of you have just described it, except for Jared. You see, you describe this pen, you say, it's shiny, it's silver, yes, it's, it has the black here, it has a writing on it, yes, it's about 14 centimeters long. But you know what, Jared, can you say again what you said? It's an instrument of writing. In other words, you write with it. Immediate application of what it actually does. Are you with me? A a big difference between the Hebrew way of thinking and the Greek way of thinking is that the Greek way of thinking looks at the description of something while the Hebrew way of thinking looks at the immediate application of something. And when you look at our universities today, at large, they are built on a Greek way of thinking. Right? It's, it's, and that's why you get philosophy which is detached from the application. And you get a theory which is detached from a practical experience. And do you know that we experience this or we go through this even in the church because we have theology detached from a practical experience of God's word. And that can very easily happen. Where we have a theological understanding of truth, but it's detached from the practical working out of that truth in our very lives. 
And I, and I like the video that Melissa showed this morning. That's a, a classical example of it, right? Where you are so focused on, on receiving the truth intellectually, but you never stop to think of how those words can be transformed into actions in everyday life. Right? So it is a different way of thinking. And the question is, do we have a Greek mind or do we have a Hebrew mind? Do we have a Greek way of thinking? And by the way, you can carry this into so many different areas. You know, the Greeks, they were full of philosophy about life. And yet when it came to the practical side of it, there was very little of that. The Hebrew mindset is basically practical at its very foundation. And out of the practical experience, we understand more about who God is, more about His revelation, more about His, for His will in our very lives. You know, and you can carry this into so many areas of life. You know, how, how many of you know the game uh, Simon Says? You remember that game? You know, the young people don't remember it because there's no app for it on the iPhone. But you used to play this game where you would say, you know, do this and then you would do it and then the other had to imitate that. And you know, isn't that exactly what the story of scripture is all about? Jesus teaches something, he says something, but then he also does it and then he asks us to follow him. Amen? To imitate what he does. And yet so many times we detach the sayings of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus from the actual practical application of living what he lived. Just think about it for a moment. You know, we have this custom at home, this good tradition at home, that every Friday we clean our house in preparation for the Sabbath. How many of how many have that, that practice? Well, just a couple of you. It's really great. You know, you clean your house on Friday and you're ready for the Sabbath. You have a clean house. That we, in our home with Sylvia and myself, we do it every Friday, cleaning the house. Well, she does it more than me. But um, the house is clean. And what if Sylvia had to leave on Friday and would say to me, Daniel, can you clean the house while I am gone? And she left the entire day. She comes back in the evening and the house is a mess. And I would say to her, Sylvia, I memorized what you said. (laughs) You said, can you please clean the house? Sylvia, chapter 1, verse 1. I memorized it. Isn't that wonderful that I memorized what you said? Actually, I can even say it in Greek. And while you were gone, I got some friends over and we started a study course. And in the course of the following five weeks, we're going to study what a clean house looks like. What do you think about that? You know, and this is the way many of us do Christ, our Christian experience. We come to church and we look at the theory of truth. We study the theory of truth. We even memorize scripture. We can say the words in Greek and Hebrew. And yet the application is often far away in our lives. If we are going to have the true Hebrew mind, the biblical way of thinking, truth is going to be more than a theory that floats above us. It's going to enter into our minds and our hearts. It's going to be in our actions. Amen? Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 as we dig a little bit deeper into the application of God's word for us today. The book of Matthew, chapter 5, this is the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to pick it up in verse 13. Matthew, chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. 
And Jesus says, You are the what? The salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the what? What does it say? The light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now Jesus here, in this passage, he is speaking of an active, visible faith. Amen? An active, visible faith. And he uses how many illustrations here? Two illustrations. What does he use? What's the first illustration? We are to be like the salt and we're to be like the light. All right. Can you describe salt for me? Now you're going to think Hebrew or Greek, right? Can you describe salt for me? Can anyone describe salt in a Greek way? Exactly. Did you hear that? Sodium chloride. That is the Greek description of salt. Now can you tell me the Hebrew description of salt? It flavors, it preserves, right? It flavors and preserves. Do you see the difference there? The Greek and the Hebrew. Okay, we're going we're gonna to get a little into this now. Can you describe light for me? In the Greek way? <laughs> Alright, now, now, when it comes to light, you know, it's... I looked in the dictionary, listen to this definition... The natural agent that stimulates sight and makes things visible. Now, there is of course the scientific way of describing light. Even though the scientists have a very, very hard time to actually describe in detail exactly what light is. Even to this day. It is a hard, hard thing. Um, You know, I thought, well, let me look up what darkness is. Darkness is the absence of light. Which you kind of gets you into this nice circle. Light is the absence of darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. It is very hard to describe exactly what light is. Isn't it interesting that the first thing that God ever created is so hard to define by the last thing that he created? The first thing that God created is let there be Light. The last thing that he created is the human being. And yet the human being has such a hard time to actually fully explain and define what light is. And yet, in the Hebrew understanding, we move now into the Hebrew application, the Hebrew mindset. What is light? It makes things visible. Right? I love this quote by C.S. Lewis, and I think I shared this last week as well. Uh, He says the following. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun, S-U-N, has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. My friends, Jesus says in John chapter 8 and verse 12, he says, I am the, can you finish it? Light of the world. I am the light of the world. Now, I might not be able to understand everything about light, but what I can do is experience light because by light I see everything else. Are you with me? 
So in a, a Greek way of thinking, you know, I might not be able to understand all the mysteries about the incarnation of God. I might not be able to understand all the mysteries of the death of Jesus and his resurrection. There are many things beyond my finite mind, and yet I can experience it. Amen? I can experience Jesus Christ as the living Christ which reveals for me the light so that I no longer have to walk in darkness. So that I can have a renewed experience in my life in which Jesus Christ and his character shines through me. Do you see that the Hebrew way of thinking, of application, is central to the Christian faith? Not doing away with our theoretical understanding of things, but my friends, to be very honest, our theoretical understanding in certain areas of the gospel is limited. Amen? There are certain things that we merely cannot understand. Can anyone explain to me the incarnation of Jesus Christ? I mean, the best theologian on this planet cannot fully describe the incarnation. It is a mystery to us. So is the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. We can understand it to a certain level, yes. But my friends, with the Hebrew mind, we are to understand more than just the theory of it. Even that, even that has its limits. We are to experience the practical application of it. As he shines his life into our lives. As a matter of fact, if you're still there in Matthew chapter 5, what is, then that, uh, what is then that application, that practical application of Jesus Christ being the light and of us being the light? Matthew chapter 5, and look at verse 13 once more. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now look at the application, verse 15 and 16. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your what? Good works and glorify your Father in heaven. What is the application of the light entering into our lives is that we show what? Good works. The Hebrew way of thinking when you take the pen is you can write with it. The Hebrew way of thinking when you look at the light of Jesus Christ is that it performs good works in my life. Amen? That I can actually be a different kind of person. Through the power of Christ, I can be filled with His presence, filled with His character, and He can lead me into a new way. A way in which I put His character on display. And the good works that I perform are no longer my works, they are the works of Jesus Christ. It is the light that shines in me. I might not be able to fully understand it, but I can fully experience it. Amen? And that is the experience that God wants each one of us to enter into. Listen to this quote um, from uh, The Faith I Live By, page 25. The Faith I Live By, page 25. It says the following. Pure and undefiled religion is not a sentiment, but a doing of works of love and mercy. 
This religion is necessary to health and happiness. It enters the polluted soul temple and with a scourge drives out the sinful intruder. Taking the throne, it consecrates all by its presence, illuminating the heart with the bright beams of the sun of righteousness. It opens the window of the soul heavenward, letting in the sunshine of God's love. I thought it was so beautiful how it describes that our works of love and mercy are a response or a result rather of what God is doing in the heart. It's like his truth enters into the heart and it shines out of us in our actions to those around us. My friends, the truth of God's word cannot remain on an intellectual level only. Amen? If, if the truth of God's word is only in our minds as a theory, but it's not in our minds as a practical experience carried into our everyday lives, we are not going to be able to fully grasp the plan of God and the purpose of God. You see, at, some, at certain times, application precedes interpretation. There are times that we, when we experience the truth, that in that experience we start understanding the truth better. Amen? Have you ever had that? That there's an experience you're going through in your life and, and, and you realize that the word of God is leading you through that and suddenly you understand the truth better in theory after you had that experience. How many of you have gone through that? That, that is exactly... The, the, the purpose of scripture. Not to remain on an intellectual level, but to enter on that experience level and in that sense broaden our understanding. It broadens our understanding. You know, I, um, I read this amazing story about a man by the name of A.J. Jacobs. And um, he, um, what he does actually for a living is he makes himself a human guinea pig. And he goes through different uh, experiences. And, and one year, one of his life experiments was to um, spend an entire year reading the Encyclopedia Britannica to become the smartest person in the world. So he spent a year just reading that. So he, he puts himself through these, through these experiences in order to, you know, to, to become famous, I guess. And... On another occasion, what, the, what he did is he decided to live one year biblically. Now, the interesting thing is that A.J. Jacobs is an agnostic. In other words, he, he, the words of truth and the words of scripture are merely a theory for him. And so now he's going to attempt to live that theory for a year. What do you think that's going to look like? Here he is. And you know, he writes about his experience. Which is absolutely, at times it's just, you know, outright funny. At one point, he says, and he lives in New York, and he says, okay, I gotta follow all these. So for him, it's just a list of do's and don'ts. The entire scripture is. It's just a theory. There's nothing in his heart or in his emotions that draws him to the person Christ, but he decides, I'm going to live biblically for a year. And he lives in New York. And one of the commands of scripture is that adulterers are to be stoned. How are you gonna do that? And so what he does is he considers that everyone in New York must be an adulterer, after all. And so he takes some of these pebble stones, and he just at times as he's walking over the street, he just throws them on people. <laughs> so he lives biblically. 
at one point, the story goes that he, actually before he starts this year of biblical living, he walks into a uh, Christian bookshop and he needs a Bible because he's never read the Bible before. And so he asks the man in the shop, uh, what kind of Bibles do you have available? And this soft-spoken uh, person in this shop leads him, the salesman in the shop, leads him to different versions of the Bible. And one version of the Bible that he shows him looks like a teen magazine. It is, has the cover of a teen magazine. And this soft-spoken salesman says to A.J. Jacobs, he says, this is a good Bible when you're embarrassed to read the Bible on the subway. So you can just read this one. It's a teen's magazine. It was a girl's teen's magazine, to be precise. And A.J. Jacobs writes in his book, you really realize you're in a secular city when it's more accepted to read a girl's teen's magazine than the Bible. Right? And he goes through this experience in which he tries to live biblically for a year, but he utterly fails. Why? Because the Bible is not an ordinary textbook. Right? The Bible is not to be approached like any other science that you merely understand theoretically. The Bible is to be an experience that sinks into the heart and that is carried out in the life and that has to do with a personal relationship with the person, that person being Jesus Christ. Amen? You cannot live biblically by just following the do's and don'ts in Scripture. Living biblically is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ which allows His light to shine in us. And although we cannot fully understand that light, we can experience that light as we see the changes that He brings into our lives. Amen? Now turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. And I want you to, I want you to see how this carries out in 1 Corinthians in the description that Paul gives in this text of what the word of God is to do to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 beginning in verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 beginning in verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world but the spirit who is from God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now listen to verse 14, this is crucial. But the natural man does what? Does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are what? spiritually discerned but he who is spiritually judges all things now take notice in this text very clearly spiritual things and scripture by the way from Genesis to Revelation is spiritual spiritual things are spiritually discerned again I repeat myself we cannot approach the scriptures as another ordinary textbook If that's going to be our attainment to understand scripture without entering into the experience of scripture, we're not going to understand it. It's simply that easy. The Hebrew mind, by definition, brings interpretation and application together. And so what we read here very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is that in order for us to discern, in order for us to understand, we must have a spiritual mindset. Amen? 
We must have a Hebrew mind, a biblical mind, looking not only for interpretation, but looking for application. Amen? I want to close with our text in Romans chapter 12. And I believe that this will pull it all together here. Hebrews, uh, sorry, not Hebrews, Romans. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 and look at verse 1. Romans 12 and verse 1. If we could take this call seriously, we would enter into a whole new dimension of our experience with God. The Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. My friends, when we give our lives as a sacrifice to God, when we surrender every single part of our being to Him and to His cause, our minds will be renewed. We will receive a biblical mind. We will receive the mind of Christ. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. We will receive the mind of Christ Jesus, which is a biblical mind, a Hebrew mind, a mind that is not just interested in the theory of truth, but interested in the experience of truth. And I believe that those that will be sealed in the end of time, those that are part of those 144,000 in the last moments of earth's history, will be those that have gone through this very experience that we read right here. They have given their bodies, they have given their lives as a living sacrifice to Christ. They are not conformed to this world. They are not conformed to the thinking in this world. They think in a different way, in a new way. In a way that is in harmony with God. They can prove what is good and what is false. They can discern between the holy and the unholy. They can discern the perfect will of God. They have not only understood truth, but allowed truth to enter into their hearts and lives. It's my prayer that we will be the salt and the light. Amen? But that we will move beyond our theoretical understanding of salt and light to the actual application. That we will become the seasoners of this world. That we will become the light in which we reveal the good works of Jesus Christ to others. That the word of God will move from being intellectual to being very practical on an everyday level. That's my, that's my hope for you. That's my prayer for you. And, you know, I just want to close with, with saying this, that for, for many years when I was a Christian, I would hear about the gospel. I would read about the gospel. And, you know, sometimes what happens is we hear so much about the gospel, so much is entering into us theoretically and so little is entering into us practically that we almost become immune to it. And I believe that that is many times the danger. I saw it in my own experience. I see it in the experience of others. That we can become immune to the gospel, to the power of it, to the beauty of it. I remember hearing the gospel so many times, but one evening, I picked up a book, and that book was The Desire of Ages. 
And I remember reading over the chapters again about the death, the crucifixion of Jesus. And this time, as I read it, it was different than all the other times before. It was different than all the other explanations of the gospel that I had heard. Suddenly, those words entered into a different part of me. It was entering into my heart. And I remember, it touched me to the level that I said, This is the person I want to follow the rest of my life. My friends, I pray for you that truth may enter on a deeper level than merely intellectually. I pray that as you read the gospel, as you study the person of Jesus Christ, that you will be drawn into an experience with Him. Amen? An experience in which you will say, I will follow Him the rest of my life. Amen? I want to make an appeal before we close here. I want to ask, are there people here this morning that say, yes, I've understood intellectually the truth or parts of the truth. But I want a deeper practical application in my life. And I need prayer for that to happen. Anyone that wants to say that this morning? Praise the Lord. The Lord sees those hands and he will be praying for you. And let's pray together that we may come to that deeper level as we experience the power of the gospel. Shall we kneel together as we pray? Father in heaven, we thank you this morning. We praise you this morning. And we just come into your presence right now asking you, Lord, to grant us the power that we need to live lives in harmony with yours. Lord, we want to thank you for the theory of truth in all its beauty. But we also want to thank you, Lord, that we need not remain on the level of only understanding it merely as a theory, but that you have promised that you will bring the practical application into our lives. You will allow us to be the salt of the earth. You will allow us to be the light in this world. And Lord, we pray for that experience this morning. And we pray it through the power and name of Jesus Christ. And for his sake we pray. Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.